0: Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Before we get to this episode, I want to thank the following sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com, Cody Nelson, my friend of 20 plus years. He's the glassing guru. I call him the optics authority. He's the optics manager at GoHunt.com Gear Shop. Call Cody if you're interested in buying any optics at all. You can reach him directly for info and sales at 702-847-847. 8747, that's extension two, or you can email him directly at optics at gohunt.com. You can also send him a text or call him on his cell phone, 602 399 3699. Guys, I want to thank Cody and all of his work uh, that he does with the J. Scott Outdoors podcast listeners. I also want to thank Go Hunt Insider. It's application season, guys. You're going to get a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card just for signing up. Go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Uh, Kuyu just released its new Velo pattern. Go to kuiu.com to find out more about Kuyu products and the new Velo pattern. I also want to thank phonescope.com. Use the jscott20 promo code to get a 10% discount on all orders. Guys, let's get right to this episode guys, if you have any questions or comments for me, you can reach out on my email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can also follow me on my Instagram account. That's jscottoutdoors. You can send me a direct message there. I love hearing and interacting with uh, all of you listeners. And thank you for your avid support of this podcast. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today, we've got the Chief Hunting Officer and Director of Conservation at Kuyu, Brendan Burns on the line. Brendan, how you doing? Doing well, Jay. How are you doing today? Good. I wanted to get you on and talk about this phenomenal project and this whole thing that uh, you've got going with the Conservation Direct. And, uh, you know, start from the beginning, talk about the concept and talk about how you were able to manage that concept all the way to fruition and then how it's going. So I'm excited to talk to you today
1: yeah great uh, it's been a while been, I, obviously uh, you and i've talked about this a lot a couple of years now i think you were one of the first people i told about it but uh, yeah we we uh <clears throat> in january february this year we did the first ever um all company and customer funded uh sheep transplant ever done and uh we basically moved uh we took uh, an excess of sheep on a reservation here in montana and moved uh 55 sheep um we moved 30 sheep to north dakota and we moved 25 sheep to antelope island um in in utah um yeah it was a really it's a phenomenal project it was just a really cool thing we did it all uh <clears throat> it was basically all privately funded all privately taken care of we did it in conjunction with uh, the state of north dakota the three affiliates tribe in north dakota and with the state of utah and uh antelope island state park um we were able to yeah basically put uh, three brand new herds of sheep on the planet in two days um all done um what makes it different is all done from you know from the directed by the company it was not a state project it was not a uh, conservation organization project. It was a uh, it was a project that uh, um, I've been working on for quite a while. It was done uh, with uh, Kuyu and Kuyu customers to uh, just just a different take on how we could have a direct impact. Um, uh, on the conservation front you know there's a lot of talk about conservation and there's a lot of things you know we still support tons of organizations and all um everything that we normally do but um a few years ago i just kind of came up with the concept of like it'd just be really cool to do something more to uh to have a direct impact and 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 to really just you know boots on the ground kind of get your hands dirty and 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 you know see if you could put something together that would actually make it make an impact and and be able to, uh, you know, put a few, put put a new sheep herd on the planet. It was, you know, part of it was a personal goal of mine to see if we could see if we could pull it off. So, um, yeah, it was a phenomenal project and
0: right. yeah,
1: we were able to, we were able to move them and, uh, everything went incredibly successful. And, uh, I would, anybody who wants to see like the background of the project, anything, um, we, we have it up on the site. It's, uh, if you go to conservationdirect.com or if you go to Kuyu and, and look under conservation, it's all the films, all that stuff are up there with, um how it went down and everything
0: brendan and we'll get to this but as a result of the transplant there were ewes that were transplanted that were pregnant and out of the 55 sheep that have transplanted i believe there's like 30 extra sheep that have been born now um so now we're at 80 something sheep correct
1: Yeah, so it's really cool. So when we did full biological, so so just a little background on the project. I mean, everything was handled like we hired the the absolute best biologists in the world. Did all the disease testing. There was this wasn't just uh, you know bucket biology, so to speak, of you know a couple of guys getting together wanting to do their own transplant. I mean, we went through all the protocol that any transplant would be done would be done. It was uh, obviously directed by each state had their own um markers and testing that they needed done these are actually some of the most tested sheep that have ever been moved in in the history of the country um, because it was we did it simultaneously over the course of two days we moved 55 sheep to two different to three different locations but two different states um, and so um yeah so as we were you know we we obviously moved uh we took 30 sheep to the three affiliates tribe in north dakota um <clears throat> and, and there were 25 ewes and five re- young rams and of those 25 ewes um 21 of them were were pregnant um which is really cool and then of the um on the, on the utah front 13 of the 20 we took a few lambs it was it was actually got difficult to catch sheep They got pretty smart by the second day um 13 of the sheep were were pregnant as well and uh they've all had lambs at this point in time and as of right now i believe there's uh, of the original 55 that were transplanted between the two locations. There's 87 sheep on the ground, which is, uh, which has just been phenomenal to see. It's just, it's just such a cool thing to go like, Hey, we, we put this awesome thing together with, you know, these awesome people, uh, all these volunteers. And, and now, you know, you, you know, three months later to see the direct results of just, you know, a, a whole new sheep herd and then, you know, firstborn lambs on the ground in, in their new habitat where, where they'll uh where they'll be living to their life and and hopefully you know propagating species going going forward in different locations so it's uh it's, it's been really 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 rewarding for sure
0: and, and let's put this in perspective as well um, this transplant to these two different states the ultimate goal is down the road that they will be doing good enough that they will be a sustainable population that um that hunters might have the chance to hunt and, or they will also be able to take sheep from there and move it to other places. So it's kind of just expanding on, you know, North American sheep all over the country, right?
1: Yeah. So it's pretty unique. The, the, the tribe in North Dakota, it was perfect habitat and they just didn't have any Rocky mountain bighorns to, to put in there. So um, a couple of years ago, I reached out to Brett Wiedemann in North Dakota um, who's their um, overall sheep biologist and just said, hey, you know, this we have these excess sheep um, here in Montana. And I would like to, you know, do you have a place for them? And I also reached out to Jace Taylor in, in Utah uh, and 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 asked him, like, hey, I've got these excess sheep. Are you interested in, you know, can you take a transplant? And, and how this is different in the fact that it would be directed, for, you know, from the private sector and not, hey, let's put a sheep transplant together. I, I basically reached out to them and both said, I have the sheep. They're paid for. Um, we've got this whole project planned. Can you take the sheep? And at the time, so this started in 2017. At the time, Antelope Island was populated with California bighorns and they could not take the sheep. They had a couple areas that were just weren't quite ready. And so that's why I went on to move on to North Dakota. Well, in the meantime, <clears throat> North Dakota, we planned a transplant in 2018. In early 19 and the timing just didn't work out we we had it all planned and the helicopter had a you know some maintenance problems and it kind of got late and they don't transplant sheep after the first of march um so we basically pushed it a year well in the meantime they had started seeing a die-off occur on antelope island and it happened really quick i think they saw the first coughing sheep in late november and by the end of march in 2019 all the sheep on antelope island were gone they had they had depopulated it so at that point in time, we had missed a year to do the transplant. We were going to take 34, and Antelope Island had died off, and so the the, the simultaneous transplant came around. And I just thought, well, we can do both. And so after spring counts showed that out of those 34 ewes that we were going to take, all had lambs, and and you know the and, and all the other ewes in the herd had also had lambs. So like we went from you know a population a little over 130 to almost 200 overnight. So we uh, we had extra sheep to do. So we you know after doing an account we decided hey we can do both and we're going to do it simultaneously and so the 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 sheep on antelope island is a nursery herd now they're going to have w- one of the things that when we did, went about doing this project is there were there were only two ass and, and I, i'm going to kind of ramble on here for a second but i want to make something clear <clears throat> so this was fully funded staffed and paid for by kuyu and kuyu customers but we don't own, we didn't own the sheep so how it works is like we we bought the sheep We gave the sheep away. This is a gift to the hunters of North America. We want to do an actual conservation project that is just going to put sheep out there. We're going to do good. And there's, we have nothing, there's nothing in return. Like I don't have any connection to these sheep at this point in time. Once they went out and jumped out of the trailer, they are owned by where they went. So there there was two things that we insisted upon and that I made it super clear to begin with. One, it had to go to a huntable population, meaning... I'm not really interested in raising the sheep population somewhere where, where it's not going to create a new hunting opportunity or sustain an existing hunting opportunity. Like there's a lot of conservation projects and and those are all great, but the sole focus of this is, is, is hunting related conservation. Like it's going to create a new hunting opportunity, uh, preserve a hunting opportunity. Like that's the whole conservation direct model. Like there's a lot of things you can do, but this is focused totally on hunting. The other thing was that obviously it had to go to a population that would be hunted. So in North Dakota, they're going to have, an auction tag and a draw tag they're 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 managed by the state of north dakota on a private tribal land which is the three affiliate tribes and then in utah they are owned by the state of utah the sportsmen of utah they are managed by the state of utah and they live in antelope island state park but antelope island state park does allow hunting and the, the sheep on antelope island are now their rocky mountain bighorn nursery herd so though from that population of 25 that we put on there, which now there are, uh, 40 well, something sheep on there. Now, um, they will, they will, once it gets reached sustainable population, they will obviously offer hunting as well. One or two tags a year, I believe two. And, and, but more importantly, they're going to take those excess sheep, like all those sheep, once they hit population are going to start to transplant out. So the, the, the original 25 will result in, you know, basically all the new populations going forward for the state of Utah. So it's a really um, it's, it's a very thought out um, project in the fact that it's a, a going to be a nursery herd and there is going to offer hunting opportunities, including those hunting opportunities that come about when, you know, 10 years down the road, the population reaches full objective and they start moving the bighorns off of Antelope Island to new hunting units in, in the state of Utah. And, and the same with North Dakota. We took 30 sheep, 15 and 15, three rams on one side, two, two rams on the other and ten and 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 the U's <coughs> and uh, twelve and thirteen U's, and so they're they're on the north side and the south side of the Little Missouri River, and so now there's two separate populations in North Dakota. So those will be the same thing. Once they reach objective, they're going to use those to transplant to new habitat, um, and it's really cool. Like the uh, obviously, I think a lot of people know about Antelope Island. It's a state park. You can go out there and and, and look at. It. It's very cool. But in North Dakota, they went to very similar terrain that the like the Missouri breaks here in Montana. So. Um, you know, that the, ultimately it's going to create hunting opportunities in two ways. One, they will actually hunt those populations themselves. And then as nursery herd, they will, they will, uh, transplant and, uh, do as, do as they see fit with them. But, uh, yeah, that's one of the things they're, 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 uh, they're under full and they have a really great management plan for them. So it's, I think it's going to be really, really successful.
0: So this is way more than 55 sheep. This is probably going to turn into thousands of sheep over time. And... One of the questions I have is in in other transplants that, that states do and other organizations and what have you, how is conservation direct different from some of the other transplants?
1: So the main difference is that this was directed by the company. Um, you know, I I, I happen to be in a place where I, I was aware of this project could be could be put to place. I've I've had it in my mind for a long time and came up with the concept with a few other guys and just thought, man, this would be incredible to do the main difference that it's fully funded and paid for. It's fu- financially, totally transparent. It's fully funded and paid for by the private sector. You know, and we worked in conjunction with two different tribal organizations and, th- and two different States. Um, and then it is solely focused on, on, on moving these sheep. There was no, nobody's salary got paid nobody like at the end of the day we just we just did the project this whole thing was just about knocking out a project we just i found this incredible project found a place to put the sheep there was nothing to be gained from it like i literally called brett weedeman and jace taylor and said the same thing can you take the sheep they are fully paid for we want to pay for all the disease testing we want to pay for transportation we want to pay for you know i had 34 amazing people showed up to help out with the transplant we paid for the hotel rooms like Everything that was needed to take care of the actual transplant is what was taken care of. nothing more, nothing less. the The financial transparency came from the Midwest Wild Sheep Foundation, which is where obviously these sheep occur in north in North Dakota. Um, before Antelope Island had, had a die-off, I had uh, Mike Bowton had had reached out and said he w- you know wanted to help out in the project. and I said, well, that's great. Here's how we can do it there. 501c3. Midwest Wild Sheep Foundation acted as the bank so. When we put the money in as Kuyu and, and I reached out to, you know, there were 16 donors. I made 16 phone calls in this project and, and raised all the money for the project. Kuyu put in half and and these other customers put in half. <clears throat> um, all the money went to the Midwest Wild Sheep Foundation. They they handled the money basically. So there there was no, I'm, I'm not going to say shenanigans, but it's just totally financially transparent. It went through a 501c3 Midwest Wild Sheep Foundation handled all the money. There was nothing more paid that needed to be done with the transplant and nothing less. Like we just took care of the whole project. So, um, just the transparency on it. I mean, there's a lot of organizations doing great work. I just wanted to, you know, like a lot of people want, just want to know exactly where their money went. I called, you know, 16 of these great people and they were just like, wow, absolutely. You know, like it was, it was, I didn't know how the money raising would go. I haven't, I've never done that before, but everybody just said basically how much, where do I send it? Like to, to actual, like, what became very obvious is people want to see, Hey, wh- where, where's my money going? And this one, it's like, Hey, you're gonna, you know, your name is going to be written on the inside of a collar there, there's actually sheep, these 55 sheep, we are going to actually move them. Here's the date. Here's when it's coming. And, and it was just an incredible response from, from the company, from, um, from the financial, the donors, which were all you customers and, and from, you know, like from everything like for all the people that showed up it was just a, it was just an incredible experience and um, I think you were you were actually scheduled to come and, and it kind of overlapped with some Tuesday or how you were I think you were out of the country but you were you were coming as well
0: yeah for sure you know it's such an exciting project um, Brendan out of the 16 customers that you called did anyone say no
1: Didn't have a single person t- say no I didn't have to call anybody else like I once we hit the target amount, um, I didn't have anybody say no. It was it was pretty incredible. Um, yeah, it was pretty incredible. Just to, you know, if you have a crazy idea and to have uh, you know all these people are, are my friends as well, to just have them go like, yeah, how much, you know, where do I send it? Like that's an amazing idea. Let's see if we can pull it off. And and then you know same deal with the volunteers. You know I, nobody knew about this project. you know, about there was five of us that knew about it. Five or six of us that knew about it. You know for the two years it took to put it together. But I I literally called you know all these people with about five days beforehand and, and said, Hey, can you show up? This is, this is when it's going down. And we, uh, they all showed up and it was just an amazing uh, gathering. And, and like I said, if you want to see how the whole deal went down, go to conservationdirect.com and you can see, you know, it, it kind of, there's a deep dive into, you know, the overall project, the concept of conservation direct, which is, you know, really just like direct company conservation, and then a deep dive into each transplant where they're going the habitat um what we accomplished in each of those two trans or three transplants really because there's two in north dakota and one in utah so um yeah it was just the response has been amazing um and the people afterwards now like right now you know obviously this is this is not a a concept that's one and done this is you know we're moving on to do something else i'm 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 working on some really amazing things right now i think are going to come to fruition and and the the outreach of people saying hey you know man i want to be a part of the next thing you do has been has been overwhelming
0: That was exactly what my next question was. I know out of the 16 that you called, there's hundreds and if not thousands that would be interested in doing the same thing. So for people out there that are interested in wanting to um, move on future projects and and be a part of of the next conservation direct um, program or project or, you know, transplant, um, what should they do? yeah if you go to conservationdirect.com
1: or, to, or go to kuyu.com and go to our conservation page there's a sign up place there where that i'd be interested in a volunteering or 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 being a financial donor or volunteering i mean they're both equally important like i said i mean the financial donors it was incredible that they all responded that way and 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 also the people that showed up i mean so the the next pro- I'm, I'm gonna be a little bit vague the next uh i'm working on some other stuff and I'm, I'm really just not gonna let anybody know what it is right now um until until we get it all the details worked out these things take a long time you know like i said i i, I started working on this project in early 2017 really came up with the idea. Um, so they, 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 don't happen overnight and even with conservation organizations, like all the other people, there's still some great work. There's, there's some great work being done elsewhere. They just don't happen overnight. But if you go to conservationdirect.com, you can sign up and say, I'd, I'd love to you know be either be a volunteer or, or be a financial donor and, um, both of those things. And, and again, it's going to operate in the same way. Like conservation direct is not an organization. It's just organized action. Our whole thing is, um, we're just going to pick a project and get the project funded no more no less knock out the project and move on to the next one i mean it's, it's really just you know uh company-based conservation that's just just doing a few projects and you know like we're not stopping supporting the organizations that we always do we're just we just feel like you know it's 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 just a really cool thing to do more and you know the connection with the customers and 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 with friends and just people that can show up and it was really i mean like the ultimate and you know I, I don't know if you even put a team building but just like to see all these people show up and have a direct impact was uh it was just it was incredible um and to see those sheep jump out of the trailer you know knowing that like yeah you know like took some initiative it took a lot of hard work but we got this thing done and, and there and there are three new sheepers on the planet based on you know this incredible group of people and a and a, and a pretty fresh idea so it's just uh yeah it's been a an amazing amazing thing to be a part of
0: Brendan, do you think that there is a desire or that people feel like um, some of the conservation organizations out there maybe have lost a little bit of focus as to, you know, actually putting money directly into the wildlife and, you know, maybe too much has gone into advertising, too much has gone into You know, maybe connecting themselves with certain companies and and, and trying to, in essence, they've just created a big corporation where do you think there's a yearning and from the people that you've talked to and the feedback that you've heard after it that just having the ability to just say, here's my dollars and boom, they're on the inside of a collar of a sheep and that's all I care about. I just want to go from point A to point B. I don't care about any of the other stuff in between. I just want it to be, I want to see my money go to good work and not i'm not pointing fingers at any other conservation organization but i'm saying that is there do you believe that there is a little bit of a yearning for people out there to want to make sure that their money goes directly on the ground
1: i do i think i think it just involves clarity you know like there are some things that require money and require energy that are not glamorous i mean there's lobbying and stuff for wildlife that, that definitely takes takes money and it's one of those things like there has to be money raised for a lot of different things that are very very important i mean this was this was a pretty glamorous one. I mean, Hey, we got to go grab and, 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 and test and, and, you know, vaccinate and move sheep. Like this, this is a pretty, pretty sexy project to be honest with you. But I think people just want clarity. Like there's advertising and PR there's people you know, there's, there's, there's credit taken for um, for stuff that's not really happening. you know, like what is conservation is buying an ad conservation. I don't think so. Is, is making a film about something that somebody else is doing conservation uh, raises awareness, but it's not actually conservation. You're not, you're not making a difference. I mean, I, I think everybody's pretty aware on the conservation front right now. And, uh, and I, like, like I said, this thing, this is, you know, uh, uh, just to something that we're going to do. I'm not sure everybody's going to be able to, you know, take on this model, but I challenge any company, like, I think they should. I mean, I hope, I hope somebody comes to the to the plate with a massive project and and you know to you know, checkmate. This one's even bigger. This is great. Like at the end of the day, it's it's going to be great for wildlife and for hunting opportunities. Um, so I, I think people, from what I've. Gotten feedback, which has been tremendous, is that people just want clarity. They want to know where their money go- is going. They want to know. Um, they want the separation of uh, this is advertising, this is PR, this is you know all these things. I mean, everybody loves going to banquets and 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 I'll say this. What this really highlighted for me, there's some there's some small organizations, some small banquet type stuff. Like I mean, Travis Jensen at Utah Wild Sheep Foundation was super instrumental in this whole project. I mean, him and I um he was originally who i'd reached out to and and they were they they were tremendous help to us on that and same with midwest wild sheep obviously they acted as the bank in this thing everybody from north dakota and minnesota those guys they don't even have sheep out there and they were just absolutely willing to do whatever it takes i think there's a lot of there's a lot of focus out there that people want to help and so i think if, if the projects are just clarified and and again there's some stuff that's not as glamorous there's you know like there's lobbying that needs to be done for, you know, for habitat. There's, there's, you know, habitat improvement projects and all this stuff. Like everything we're going to do is not going to be as glamorous as moving sheep. Like this is a, this is a pretty incredible project, but I, I do think people want to see and know where their money is going. And, um, yeah, and that's, and that's just what we're going to do. We're going to continue to support great organizations. I mean, last year, um, you know, there's, like I said, there's a lot of great people doing great things. I mean, um you know they moved more sheep in utah than just about anywhere or than anywhere in, in north america last year and, and this project that that we put together was just one of the many projects that they did so there, there's a lot of good work being done and this is not this just highlights what we were able to do on this one but there's a there's a lot of tremendous work being done um there's also a lot of stuff that eh, really doesn't fall under the conservation realm and, and i think that'll that'll get sorted out but um i definitely have seen the response that people you know they, they, want to, they want to see where their money's going, you know.
0: Got a quick question about the genetics of the sheep that were transplanted as far as um, Rocky Mountain Bighorns genetically. Uh, you know, what kind of horn configuration, size, bases? I mean, are these, do the, do the people of Utah and the people of North Dakota have a lot to look forward to as far as big healthy beautiful sheep big full curled sheep um what you know what what are the genetics like
1: yeah this was a huge genetic upgrade for both so north dakota has traditionally had california bighorns which uh you know i be- I don't believe their state record has ever broke 180 and i think they're probably a few years away from that that thing's going to be dusted pretty 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 quickly uh w- given these genetics and utah had california bighorns as well an- on antelope island which You know, I I don't know what the biggest sheep ever killed on Antelope Island was before, but this was a massive, you know, a massive genetic upgrade for for Antelope Island. So um, the sheep originally came, so the sheep we transplanted from a reservation called uh, Rocky Boys in in northern Montana. And they originally came from western Montana um, on the Flathead Indian Reservation. So this is, is, you know, really conservation at, at its best. I mean, these sheep were originally transplanted, 23 of them in 2008. And, you know, in 2020, we took 55 off and created three new herds. But the genetics came from Western Montana, an area that had produced up to 200 inch rams in the past, um, where, where the original genetics came from. Um, if, if anybody is familiar with Montana, like Perma and um, Thompson Falls and, and, and that area was the absolute hotspot of big sheep in the, in the mid, mid to early mid, mid to late 90s and then all you know up into the early 2000s so the genetics are tremendous um there's several different genetics as far as on the reservation there's big based open curl and super twisty awesome looking rams they're they're boon and Crockett caliber genetics for sure um they're, they're like i said both places have probably the best genetics in, in their state at this point in time and you know time will tell we took a we took a beautiful you know when you transplant sheep, you don't take big rams or mature rams because they tend to wander. They, they, they kind of, they don't mix well with the group of you. So we took all this, all 10 rams that came off the reservation were between one and two year olds. And then we took uh, one, three year old in North Dakota and one, three, three year old to Utah. And the one that went to Utah, um, for example, he's, he's three and a half years old. He was obviously, he'd be four years old about right now. And a uh, pretty unique opportunity to put your hands on one, but, when we swung him in, it was like, just go pick out a really nice three-year-old, you know, let's put it, let's put it a a decent one. And we have a really high population, a good population of Rams on the reservation. So it wasn't, it was just like, let's just get one older, older age class Ram with good genetics. And, uh, and uh, we grabbed a sheep that has 15, a little over 15 inch bases at at three and a half years old. And it's 30 (laughs) inches long. So he's, he, he will be, he's got ear tag number four on him. He's on Antelope Island. And, I'm I'm assuming you know six seven years down the road five six years down the road that 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 is going to be a giant sheep it'll be interesting to watch him so the genetics are good and you know like I said they're they're the the other thing about the genetics that people don't understand or or it, it's interesting to like it's only half the equation the rams you know these are these are really good use super healthy some of the most disease free they they are the and in fact I just talked to Brett Weidman yesterday and after going through the entire disease profile these are some of the cleanest sheep disease wise that have ever been transplanted anywhere in north america they are absolutely clean as a whistle which is ultimately you know when you talk about pasturella and some of the immobi and some of these diseases that affect sheep um you want to have clean sheep that that are gonna you know have a have a great run and so i think uh, you know all all things considered it's been a huge uh, huge upgrade for both states
0: fantastic man well My hats off to you for coming up with the concept and you know i think conservation direct uh what an incredible model and like you said it would be fantastic if uh, a bunch of people get involved but it would be even more fantastic as well as if other companies will step up and um you know you'd be the first one to go shake their hand and say job well done if if they answer the call and and you know be able to direct something like this and uh w- what a great deal for all of us as sportsmen and what a great deal for the animals uh that we live yeah, i think
1: i think it, sure. I th- yeah i think it, it kind of falls into both i mean like these you know sportsmen's organizations conservation organizations continue to need support they're doing you know the ones that are doing great work and if they're not doing great work they shouldn't be and uh and on the other hand too it's you know it's, it, it gives a way to, for for people to have a direct result in the, in the what they're putting into it you know, the only one other cool thing we uh the last sheep we caught in the whole transplant they went out and they like i said they got pretty spooky i mean you you, you helicopter 55 sheep they they used they were just fully timbered up and it was we had plenty of sheep but they were just got hard to find um they the last you they grabbed on the reservation was was pretty interesting they brought her in and i was at a different table and and i kind of know all these sheep really well but I, uh, I came back over, and she had an ear tag, number 18, in her ear. And it was actually an original transplant from Western Montana. So she was two years old, was brought in 2008 to the reservation as a two-year-old, lived her entire life on the reservation. And then we, it was the last one we caught, and they had already processed her. She had a new ear tag. Ironically, it was the same number, 18, and took her down. So this this U is definitely minimum of 14 and a half years old when we caught her and she was pregnant um which just goes to show like when you think about wow that you know here's this you that's that was born in western montana lived its whole life in central montana is now on its way to to utah and and jace told me like she she had a a awesome little lamb sent me some video over the other day like they they, you know that's a 15 year old you that has probably since she was transplanted originally produced you know 10 to 12 10 to 12 of those ewes that are on the reservation came from her and now she's, you know, another one on Antelope Island. So it just goes to show like how impactful one super healthy sheep can be. You know, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, you that's produced basically a small herd in her lifetime.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Absolutely fantastic. Well, again, hats off to you for coming up with the concept and pushing it through. And, um, I can't wait to see, uh, the next project that you guys do. And, um, I know, Anybody out there listening, if you want to get involved, make sure you go to Conservation Direct. Go to Kuyu.com, uh, get involved, and uh, your, your help will be appreciated, both uh, volunteer and your money. Uh, so it's fantastic. Uh, Brendan, while I've got you on the phone, um, we had a few uh, Kuyu customer questions uh, about some of the gear. One of them is the new boots that Kuyu has came out with. Um, can you tell us, uh, how they differ from the original Kuyu boots, uh, the rebel K and the R evolution, uh, boots and what upgrades, uh, if any have been done?
1: Um, yeah, so it a really exciting project Been been two years in, in development with these with Scarpa and, and, uh, it's been, it's been an awesome project. So the, 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 the we have two, two, basically one, one, is an upgrade and one is a totally new boot. Um, and, and two, two well, basically two are the same boot with some upgrades and then one is an entirely new boot. There's the R Evolution, which has changed colorway. And, and all these boots have now have uh, what's called H-Dry, which is a bonded membrane, a bonded waterproof membrane to the outside of the boot. So tr- in traditional boot construction, there's a hanging booty, which is basically like a hanging sock inside of a boot, which keeps your foot dry. And there's some space in between the outside of the boot and that booty, which can hold water and make them difficult to dry. And, and what H-Dry is, is 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 a laminated bonded membrane to the outside of the boot. So the outer, like before you get to the outside of the boot, the outermost part is now where the waterproof membrane occurs. So it just makes the boot more waterproof. So all three of them featured the, the new H-Dry. Um, the R-Evolution has a new colorway. Um, it's got our logo. It's a it's a full, got the Kuyu logo on the RAND. And uh, it's basically the same boot that we've had. Super easy to break in, just a real, great Western hunting boot, um, had a lot of success with that. And it's, it's been really great. So the, the, the new boot, which has a different name, but is it, so the new one is the rebel K eight. Um, and it's, it's got, we made a few changes to it. It's got H dry in it. Um, it's the same as the rebel K with a few upgrades that we felt are going to make this boot better. Um, it's got a new, uh, rubber it's got a a, it's got a rubber rand that goes all the way around and then it's got a a hybrid poly rand on the back which is gonna you know makes it look a little cleaner and saves a little bit of weight makes it a little more durable in the back it's got a new toe bumper on it which is going to add to the durability it's going to just going to make the boot last longer was one of the things we ran into on the original was um wearing out a little bit in the toes we've added a large toe bumper to, to add some more tread to it um, and it's basically the same boot as the, the rebel, as the rebel K has always been. It's now gray and black. It's got, uh, you know, our logo on it. It's a, this is a full, the only place you can get this boot is at like, this is a, this is a collaboration with Scarpa. Um, I'm super happy with this boot. I have personally worn this boot since 20, about 2015, we started development. I don't think you could build a better sheep hunting boot. It's uninsulated. Um, you know, so it's a, it's a very specific boot. It's got a three quarter shank. Um, it's a perfect sheep hunting boot, in my opinion. Now, again, take that for what it's worth. I helped design it. I love the boot, so um, that's that's what the new Revel K Eight is. And then we we have a, a, a go ahead. And that's an eight inch boot, correct? It's eight inches tall. Yeah, okay. correct. The the eight and the and, and that that's what the height. Yep. Okay. Okay. And the the other the new boot we have now, uh, the 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 brand new collaboration boot is called the rebel k10 insulated hd so it's got it's got h dry um it's our first 10 inch boot now the 10 inch boot is basically synonymous with the hunting boot it's going to be two inches taller than the rebel k8 and this is our first foray into an insulated boot um it's got scarpa sock fit um this is i've worn this boot now for uh a year and a half i put it through the paces i guess i think people are really going to love this boot it's got 200 grams of Primaloft gold insulation. So it's our first insulated boot. Um, and and then we picked that amount because um, it's kind of the perfect amount for being active. Um, in reality, like when it gets cold, you know, when you're hiking, glassing, moving, hunting, you know, later type season, um, you know, your feet aren't going to get overheated, but it is nice to have a little bit of insulation. Um, it's got Scarpa sock fit. This is the first 10 inch tall, Scarpa sock fit boots that they've ever done. So, you know, if, if you haven't worn Scarpa sock fit, you, you really owe yourself to at least try it on. It basically eliminates the tongue, you know, so you get a more consistent fit. Every time you slide this boot on, it fits the exact same way. You don't have the tongue going side to side. These are fully synthetic boots. They dry extremely quickly. I've, I've kind of converted everything to synthetic just in the fact that it doesn't change shape. <clears throat> and when I say, you know, consistent fit, I think everybody's taken a traditional leather boot and by the end of a 10- day hunt or, or, or a long hunt you your eyelashes are touching you know they just they just change sizes on you um, which you don't run into in uh, with a fully synthetic boot um, again this has got just like the rebel k8 it's got a, a, a bigger toe bumper now it's got this hybrid um, rubber poly rand it's got the ku logo on the back which looks super slick it's black and gray and colorway um, yeah and it's just a just a really simple it's just a really great mountain boot um similar sizing um they size it up slightly to make sure for the insulation i found it fits identical to the rebel k um so those are i don't know if you got any specific questions but uh, i'm pretty excited about that boot myself i've personally worn them i don't know how many miles i got on but a lot and uh, yeah really really excited about both those boots the, all three of them running
0: really. one question i have is the rebel k10 um give me where that boot would be used uh for most people so the rebel k8 for
1: me is my sheep hunt boot you know summertime uh july 15 through you know mid-september um all the way up north sheep hunting you know later season uh in the southern southern place anywhere you like i don't like an insulated boot on a sheep hunt you're moving tons of country insulation just holds water for me um, until it gets really cold now the, the rebel k10 like for example in my hunting year start like i start wearing it about october 1st you know you're going to get some cold mornings you're going to be a, you're going to be getting some snow um i took it on a spring grizzly hunt last year where you know weather got got was it was actually pretty good weather but it did get you know it did get cold it's not enough insulation to where you couldn't take it on uh, on early season hunt and some guys you know a lot of times people run differently as far as like my feet run hot. So I, I tend to not like an insulated boot, but there's a lot of guys that like, they're always cold. Their feet are always cold. It'd be the, the Rebel K-10 would be a great one. If you consistently are just like, man, my toes are always cold, be a great boot for you. Um, and then it's, you know, two inches taller for stream crossings. And just, it, it's your traditional, what you think of when you look at a hunting boot with a tall, um, upper 10 inches tall it that, that's what the rebel k 10 is so you your traditional looking hunting boot um this one is just fully synthetic and are uh, you know and a little bit uh just just more specific design
0: brendan your elk hunting boot do you run the rebel k8 or do you run the r evolution um i prefer a
1: stiff boot i have hunted in the revolution um i i pretty much wear the rebel k eight or ten all the time but you know again I, I prefer a really stiff boot and if i'm not running those i'm wearing running shoes you know like a lot of a lot of times when i'm hunting elk i'll, I'll wear running shoes something super light with a scree um especially if i'm you know whether it's eastern montana or super hot areas like i've, I've probably killed as many many bulls wearing uh wearing running shoes um as i have boots you know but uh, it depends on the terrain i mean i I don't hunt a lot of super nasty mountain terrain it's more you know big wide open places and you know so
0: talk about the you you mentioned it a little bit but for those people out there listening why why you think it's so important to have a synthetic boot versus a leather boot because you know leather boots have been you know, the historical boot that everyone has worn, but talk about why a synthetic boot, in your opinion, is just that much better.
1: Really, there are two things that make a synthetic boot superior for for most things. One is consistency of fit. So, synthetics don't stretch like leather. They, they just don't move like leather. there's some great things about leather. I will, I will tell you that a leather boot in the nasty, nasty deather, desert with a ton of Cactus and stuff like you're in South Texas or going to Mexico and it's tons of c- like a, a leather boot is superior in that kind of terrain. Cause it doesn't get penetrated. One thing about synthetics is they're, they're woven together and they're pieced Like they, they don't stop cactus as well as a leather boot. So I would say that if you're, if you're in tons of uh, cactus and stuff, spiny stuff like a synthetic boot is not nearly as good. You're going to, you know, eventually it's not going to hold water because it's going to get poked through. Um, what, w- where a synthetic boot is far superior as you know most of the sheep hunting I do up north or up here, it's consistency of fit and quick drying. Leather holds water; it's hard to dry out. Everybody's had a leather boot that gets wet. You set it next to the fire; it changes size. As you can't get it on, it doesn't dry out fast enough. Like th- there are some fl- there are some things about leather that are not ideal, and 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 again it's, it it comes down to your foot too. Like this is not going to be the ultimate boot for everyone. It's just going to be um you know it's really good if if this boot fits your foot you know like 50 percent of the equation is how how the boot fits your foot but for me the consistency of fit and quick drying make make um i basically have switched to unless i'm in the nasty desert i have switched to synthetic boots across the board because of you know how fast they dry they do not absorb water the same as a leather boot and they fit the same every single time they dry out super fast and then they fit the same, you know, like one of the, one of the things, I mean, I can't tell you how many hunts I've been on with leather boots where by the end of it, all my eyelets are touching. Um, my boot feels like I'm slogging in it. Like it just hasn't gotten dry. And and basically the boot size has changed because leather naturally stretches. So,
0: all right, good stuff there. Another question here. How much should you tip your guide on a hunt? What would you say?
1: Yeah. At least 10%, you know, at least, um, I, am an over tipper, but you know, I, I guided for a long time. And one one thing, a you want to give your guide cash, uh, cash money, whatever that is to you. Um, guys don't need gear. Um, as much as it's great, it's pretty hard to put binoculars and, uh, and, and rain gear in the bank or pay a mortgage with it. So, um, the more, the better, um, at least 10%, you know, obviously it depends on the hunt. Um, I, I, you know, those, G- g- uh, having guided a- as an actual profession for a long time um y- you're not getting rich doing it like right um so so you know you want to be overly generous and it, and it also depends on how hard they work i mean like i mean if you have a horrible hunt and somebody doesn't work hard and they're not great like th- that's a different story um but you know you know, somebody that's busted their ass he had a had a great hunt like yeah you want to you want to reward them i mean i, I always say guys like you know, if you're, if you're booking a hunt and you can't afford to tip, you can't afford to go on the hunt. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's essential. I mean, there's nothing worse than somebody that doesn't tip. You get a bad reputation. People don't want to take you again. I mean, if you, if you can't afford to tip, you need to save a little more to go on the hunt. Um, I just, I, I will say like, I just be super generous that those guys work. They're the hardest working people. And, and, and again, it's pretty hard to put gear or something else in, in the bank. I mean, that, that's what, you know, that's what they do for a whole year. They make their whole, their whole year based on four to five months or three to four months or some of them two months. So as much as you can, especially if they do a great job, you know, like I said, you don't, you want to, uh, you want to make sure they're rewarded because, you know, they're, they're not, they're not making a pile of money from an outfitter or, or, you know, like that's, they work for tips for sure.
0: Right. And I would also throw out too, I mean, on some of the guided hunts that I've gone on, I'm also a guide myself, but you know, some of the biggest tips I've given are some of the hunts where maybe we weren't even successful and we didn't come home and harvest, but the guide worked his butt off. I think a lot of times uh, guys will base their tip based on the size of animal and I, I just, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out where you harvest an animal or you harvest the animal that maybe you wanted. Maybe, you know, you got weathered out, but if your guide is working hard, I mean, 10% for me is absolute bottom floor minimum. I mean, even up to 20 to 25%. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that being a guide myself, um, it's, it's just one of those things that if you work your butt off, And someone gives you a good tip. I mean, there's nothing more rewarding than someone, you know, acknowledging your work and how hard you tried, regardless of the outcome. Um, But if the guide is just doing everything that he possibly can to make you have a good hunt. Uh, That should be rewarded. And one of the things that always blows my mind is how everything that we do, you go to a restaurant, you get a tip, you know, you play golf and you get your clubs washed, you give a tip, you know, you you go to a valet, you give a tip, how someone would think that they go on a guided hunt and don't tip is, is mind blowing. But it's it's a reality. I mean, I know I know every year people and guides that tell me you know hey he didn't give a tip at all and i think there just needs to be some awareness out there that you know 10 percent is the minimum
1: minimum. yeah no and that's what that's what i yeah I'm, i'm talking minimum i i'm i am far above that on on everything i do and including you know i bring you know i bring a stack of hundreds for you know if you're find yourself in camp and there's a cook there that's making your food like you absolutely tip that person then you know like that's what they work for um yeah i mean a good firm handshake and a and a and a, and a nice thank you does not go as far as a nice stack of cash um <laughs> and and then like and 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 trust me like it it's it just as much as you possibly can i have an interesting story but like my first sheep on in, in 2008 um which i got on a um kind of a weird cancellation deal um, I left my guide with more than I had going home in the bank. I mean, like it, it was, the. uh, he lives in Arizona, phenomenal guy. And like, man, like work his ass off. The only reason I got a sheep was because he was like, I killed it on day 13 of a 10 day hunt. And, uh, yeah, I left him with more money than I had going home at the time. So, um, you know, the more, the more you can do, those are the guys that really make it happen for you. Um, <clears throat> you know, the outfitter, he gets paid based on the hunt. And, you know, some of it depends too. If you're on a $50,000 stone sheep hunt, you know, I mean, I'd look at it, you know, and leave the guy five grand. If you're on a, uh, you know, some of the hunt, if you, if you go on a hunt and it's not that expensive, you know, leave them 25%, like go just, you know, it's, it's, if they work hard, it's based on effort. Um, Yeah. You want to be an over tipper. That's, that's the, if, if the worst thing somebody says about you uh, after you come on a hunt is man, that guy, that guy tips too much. I don't, I don't think anybody's going to be afraid to have that said about them. So yeah, just really take care of those guys. And, and, and they're, like I said, they, <clears throat> they work hard. I, I have yet to go on. A, I have never had a terrible guy ever. I mean, some of my best friends on the planet are people that we've hunted together, didn't know each other and they've become lifelong friends. So, I mean, like it's, is very important. Can't emphasize it enough.
0: Got another question here. Um, info on thermals and reading wind in the mountains. I don't really know of any like formal written stuff. What do you think, Brennan? Yeah, man. Keep the, uh,
1: keep the wind in your face. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there, there's a lot of rules of thumb. I have in a lot of places that have, you know, again, whether it's, you know, wind coming up or going down in the morning or in, in, dropping in the evening, they're all rules of thumb, but nothing is, nothing is set in stone. You have to, you know, I always have a wind indicator with me and, You know, all that kind of stuff, like, you know, really swirly wind, even, you know, like consistent, like a heavy, consistent wind is you you can't ask for anything more than that. Or really, really swirly wind that's not that consistent is probably one of the biggest nightmares you could, you can be hunting in. You know, I mean, I, I, I wind is the number one for me though. And as far as, you know, an animal can see you and and they'll question their eyes, an animal can hear you and they'll question their ears. If an animal smells you, it's over. I mean, like one one of the things, like like it is absolutely a number one. Like camouflage, being sneaky, all that other kind of stuff doesn't count. If you got the wind at your back and they get it with you, it's that's a one hundred percent positive identification, and they don't question that. When they get a sniff of somebody, they're gone.
0: Brendan, we got a couple other questions um, here. One just says sun hat. The other one says, "Will we ever <laughs> see a Kuyu Boonie Sun Hat?" Uh, so, sun hat wanted. It's been passed on to the development team. I'm not a big sun
1: hat guy. Everybody's seen. I don't even hardly wear a hat ever. I think we um, need to do the
0: J. Scott designed sun hat and make it just look big, big and obnoxious, like like you, one that I wear if I'm fishing.
1: One of those massive sombreros. Yeah. Like, you, 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 I'll tell you what. You design it. I will send it over to the v- development team. I have said, like, hey, we've got a, a lot of requests for a big, gigantic the Obnoxious rims. hat. Just don't yeah. take
0: photos in it. If you them.
1: want to build a... A sun hat like that—that that hat that uh, Lloyd Christmas is wearing and Dumb and dumb, are, like <laughs> send, it, send it on over. Like just the essentials. Let's bring that thing out. So, yeah, baby. Um, uh, yeah, and obviously, uh, yeah. So I, I have passed that on a development team. That we've gotten a lot of requests for that, but it takes a little time, and I'm sure they're trying to make it. Uh, make it cool too, which is you know some kind of might hard. be a little bit tough. <laughs> kind of hard.
0: <laughs> Let's just face it; it's tough. Uh, yeah, yeah. Got a question here. Will you consider S and T in other pants besides attack? I don't even. What is S and T? Small and tall? Short
1: and tall? Oh, small and tall. Yes, that's that. That, that will be considered. I, I don't have any time frame or all that stuff. Like it's all based on sales. If the, if the talls and the smalls. I know we're trying to extend everything down thirties and smalls and all that stuff like that's um it just takes time to implement all this stuff, but yeah, that's always that, that doesn't fall in my realm, but I can tell you, like if, if, if there's enough people that want to buy something, we want to sell something. So sure. um, yeah, it's, it's, it's all based on demand and I believe that the tall demand has been, it's been very good. So.
0: Okay. Uh, how much are 15 power binoculars used for stone sheep hunting in British Columbia?
1: So it's funny. I've taken 15s on on a stone sheet. So my personal optics now are you always have to have a spotting scope? At least somebody's got to have one. So I take a large spotting scope, and I, I am hand carrying 12s now. I have found 15s. Um, I believe glassing with 15s off a tripod is probably the most effective way to pick up game. Um, the problem is 15s are just too much to handle, and I, I'm talking from my personal point of view. From lots of different stone sheep hunts to all sheep hunts like i i hand carry 12s which i can both glass off of a tripod i have a i have a tripod adapter on it and 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 it's a lot of power and i also can manage them with my handheld um i 15s are too much for me there are guys i mean in mexico i know a guy that he hand holds 18s and and does it well i mean the guy there's no way you can spot a sheep before this guy um so it depends on on what you like personally i've found 12s to be the perfect mix for me um but i would say 10s or 12s off a tripod is far more effective than than 15s on a stone sheep hunt. just because you know if you're going to take 15s that means you're taking three pairs three pairs of, three pieces of optics um because it's just i don't know jay you can answer that too like i just don't find them to be able to be handheld
0: yeah i, I think 15s are probably a little much i think you'd want to you ended up taking too much optics, too much weight. I would probably tens or twelves are are fine. Definitely have a spotting scope though. Uh, um,
1: my last, I think my last four hunts, I've taken uh, the Swarovski twelve. Uh, uh, I think they're the SLCs twelves. No, they're the EL. Yeah, twelve fifty ELs yeah. is what you've been taking. Twelve fifty ELs, yeah, and that's yeah. that's turned into my favorite, you know, my favorite glass to chest carry, and I have the. Uh, and i can glass off of uh, off of a tripod and 12s off a tripod are just as effective as 15s or, or or darn close considering i can basically eliminate a whole pair of binoculars doing it so that's that's what i would suggest 10s or 12s
0: um brendan the last time we talked we were talking about the new velo um how has the reception been on velo it's been great yeah like a lot of a lot of positive feedback um you know it's just a really good pattern
1: it's a great field pattern it's different than what we've had with uh with vias and verde and um you know just it just fills in one of the missing um concealment times that you need is you know that lighter that lighter pattern with less contrast and uh it's been very it's very effective in the field and uh yeah i think the reception's been been pretty incredible so i think everything almost everything that we make is now in stock in Velo, so it's been uh, it's been great, and, and again, it's just cool to see. We got some field photos coming in, some guys killing some stuff with Velo, and uh, yeah, it's been really cool to see. And it. It was an awesome project to take from you know, it's pretty not that often you can start with nothing and end up with uh, with a whole new camo pattern. That um, that was it was a really fun
0: project. Brendan, one last question here and then I'll let you go. Um, I know we're sitting here around the 1st of June and everything up north with uh, the Canadian hunts is pretty up in the air, but it's not looking great for a lot of these sheep hunts. What are you hearing out there?
1: I, I have uh, I've tried to stay in the loop, but I, I'm not a great source of information more, more so than anybody else right now. I mean, I know it's currently not open um i'm i'm maintaining i'm, I'm staying positive i've got a, uh, a hunt that i'm really hoping to do up in the yukon but uh i, I just don't know i mean I don't, I don't know that anybody knows right now um just kind of staying more hopeful there, there's some good signs i mean uh, my buddies are up hunting alaska right now you know alaska is now opened up you can quarantine the field there's some protocol they have to go through but the good thing is you know i think I think Alaska is, is getting through this and it's just going to depend on the plan. I, I don't know right now between British Columbia, the Yukon and the NWT, what, what the final is. And I'm, I i do not even want to speculate on it. I want anybody to quote me on it. Cause I, 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 really am not in the know. Um, everybody has an opinion. Um, I haven't seen a formal plan yet. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping, you know, there's, there's a lot of great, great people up there that that's their livelihood. I, I hope that the government comes to their senses and puts together a plan in place that, you know basically you know eliminates you know it's just it's just one of those bigger issues it has nothing to do with hunting it has nothing to do with getting guys in the field um it's it's based in fear and 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 things that are political and so um i'm hoping that they all come to their senses and realize that uh, the the risk factor with guys going doll sheep hunting and stone sheep hunting is so low um that you know we got to get on with life here but uh that's 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 again just my personal opinion so i wish i had some more news or it was just open but i i don't really don't really know what uh what's going to happen so i i believe alaska will be fully open um so if you got to hunt in alaska it looks it looks really good up there but the other stuff i'm <clears throat> yeah i'm I, I just hope uh you know cooler heads prevail and they they put a really good plan together to keep everybody if if safety is what they're worried about or Protocol with the COVID thing is uh, is something that's a, a massive concern with locals and stuff. They just put some some stuff in place, and I believe you know hunting is one of the greatest social distancing sports on the planet. So I, I really hope it uh, it comes around.
0: Awesome, man. Well, thanks for uh, coming on today. Thanks for sharing uh, about Conservation Direct and the success of the project that you've had. I look forward to seeing what you guys do in the future. And uh is always at the forefront of of this stuff and it's just a fantastic opportunity for uh customers to get involved and just my hats off to you guys for doing that Uh, guys that are listening uh, make sure to go to kuyu.com that's k-u-i-u.com uh direct to consumer model you can order anything that you've heard about uh on the podcast right there at kuyu.com brendan it's always great having you uh chief hunting officer and director of conservation at kuyu uh thanks for coming on here and and sharing with us
1: well thanks jay and yeah like i said anybody go to if you want to hear more about the project or see more like just uh, get a deep deep dive into it go to conservationdirect.com or kuyu on our conservation page and check it out and yeah thanks jay appreciate you having me on
0: all right buddy take care